Hello and welcome to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Efraim Martinez. I am a principal in search of wisdom and I have found productivity to be a great tool for success. Today I have the great and distinguished honor to interview David Frangiosa, who is a high school teacher in Maywood, New Jersey. He is the author of Going Greatless and host of the podcast From Earning to Learning. David Frangiosa, who are you? Well, first, thanks for having me. And, Pleasure. Uh, I, I mean, to answer that question, I, I guess um, I'd have to say, what situation am I in, right? Because I mm -hmm. think that's all of us. Like, we're different things to different people. Yes. I mean, um, a husband, a father, a teacher, a friend, right? So different roles in all of those aspects of my life. So, I mean, I guess who I am, uh, I'm loyal. Um, I'm determined. Um, you know, I'm constantly looking to improve, understanding that, like, um, you know, I'm, I'm a flawed person and everybody is, as long as we recognize that and, when one of those situations occur, we own it, learn from it, and don't do it again. So that kind of, in a nutshell, is who I am. Thank you so much uh, for the listeners of the show. Um, David and I met in a Teach Better conference, and um, <clears throat> I met him in a time of crisis. So picture this. I go to a podcast, well, a conference specifically to podcast. And I forget my microphone. <laughs> so I was assuming the absolute worst that I was not going to be able to podcast at all. And out of the blue, David comes out and says, hey, I have something for you. So I will forever be his friend. Uh, David, thank you so much. So can you walk uh, us through your professional trajectory up to this point? So I wasn't always a teacher and I didn't go to school to be a teacher. Um, so when people say it's a calling or it, it wasn't for me, um, it was kind of, um, it was a means to an end. I was looking to change careers and teaching was supposed to be a short term stopgap until I actually transitioned into my new career. But a couple of months in, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed interacting with students um i like the challenge of, of trying to meet students where they are and um are you hearing a buzzing no not me that's probably my uh heater um, here oh gotcha okay no worries uh, um yeah so i i like the challenge of um you know meeting students where they are and every day was different and so Uh, I, I decided that I was going to stop that transition into the new profession. And 17 years later, I'm still teaching. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so I started at a charter school, um, that, you know, really didn't have many resources. Um, so my first year in education, and I think I fell into the trap that a lot of, of teachers fall into is that whenever something doesn't work, we blame the student. You know, so that that's kind of how I started my career. And I, I wasn't at that place for long. I went to another school and it was better, but there were still challenges. And, you know, once again, it was easy for me to blame the students. 
you know. Um, and so I went on to my third school and seeing the same challenges and three very different socioeconomic situations. And I was like, all right, it's not the kids, you know, so like there, there's something here. Um, and so that's when I started to investigate uh, assessment and grade reform and, you know, how can how can we kind of shift conversations to get students to buy in more, right? To, to focus on what's important rather than to play the game of school and collect points. And, you know, so for the past seven plus years, I've been doing, um, you know, action research on instructional strategies, assessment practices, grading practices. Um, and my students are very involved in the process, right? I get constant feedback from them of, what's working, what's not working. So, um, you know, that's, that's how my career has kind of gone. Um, you know, I'm somebody who really wasn't all that interested in being a teacher to now I'm here on a Saturday morning and people can't get me to shut up about education. So, um, yeah. So let, let's, let's peel that onion. <clears throat> let me ask you, um, what did, because I was also, uh, before I was a teacher, I was a secretary, and that taught me a lot of stuff. I, I was a secretary in hospitals. So that taught me a lot and influenced me quite a lot as, a, as an educator today. What do you do before and how, what would you say, how does that influence you uh, in your profession as a teacher? So I was actually a chiropractor before I went into education. So I had tons of science classes and, um, you know, nothing about my education to get to that point or like what I experienced in practice um, reflected what's happening in schools, you know. Mm. So, um, you know, the knowledge that I had didn't translate once I got into my practice, right? So troubleshooting, critical thinking, all of those things became so much more important um, rather than me knowing a textbook answer to, okay, if here's your list of symptoms, what, what is it, you know? So like you can memorize all that stuff, but when you have a patient that's coming in that doesn't present in a typical way and it's just like, wait a second, the textbook says it should be this. Well, the textbook only covers 51%. Like that's what textbook normal is, right? So 49% is going to be something that you've never seen. So you got to go through the, this whole process of taking in information, analyzing that information. Okay, what do I do next? And it's all critical thinking and you can't, you can't memorize that, right? You know, you have to think on your feet and it, it's skill-based, Right. What tools do I have in my toolbox and how can I implement them in the most effective, efficient way? And a lot of that mindset is what I try and bring into the classroom. You know, we use content as a vehicle, but like I teach physics. I teach physics to students who don't want to learn physics. Right. Everybody in our school has to take it. Yeah. And so, OK, great. Let's use physics to teach these skills that maybe you can use in math class or history or English. And, you know, because learning is learning. Like, it doesn't matter if we're teaching ELA or history or math or physics, right? 
the underlying skills are very, very similar. They may be employed in a different way, but, you know, if, if we can provide that to students, you know, um, I, I think that that makes them more well-rounded when they see those connections rather than compartmentalizing and saying, okay, this is what I do in your class to make you happy, you know? Um, so that's kind of how it's influenced my teaching. It, it made me see things a little different. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, one more uh, follow-up question. Uh, you talked about action research. I see uh, your your book going gradeless. Uh, is that connected uh, to the book? And if so, can you tell us about uh, your uh, journey? What, was, uh, what were your points of argument? Uh, what were you presenting with your book? Yeah, so uh, I, I know the title gets a little bit of heat because, like, at the end of the, the year, we do have to provide a grade. So for me, gradeless is a mindset, right? So during the process of learning, um, we remove all of that um, judgmental um, aspect, right? Where, like, wherever you're at, that's fine. What's your next step, right? That's, that's the gradeless mentality, right? So um, it's not about achieving a score. It's about identifying where are you in your learning progression and how can I supplement that to get you to your next individual developmental step. Um, so, you know, people may say that's a nuanced interpretation, but um, if you're not in the classroom actually applying it, uh, I can see how from the outside it looks like semantics, but it's really not. So um, I started this really out of frustration, right? I knew students knew more and could do more than they were showing. And, um, you know, every conversation I had is like, okay, but what do I need to do to get an A? I was like, all right, so we, we need to improve your conclusions. When you're doing your, um, your experimental design, here are the things that are missing. Yeah, but like, how could I get these points? Like what, and it all went back. They completely ignored all of the feedback that I was giving them. So out of frustration, I was having a conversation with my assistant principal and I was like, you know, can I just get rid of the grades? And he was actually the one who started the conversation. I was like, I want to do that, you know? Um, so I put together a plan. Um, I, ran it by him. I ran it by my supervisor, director of curriculum, superintendent. Um, and they're all just like, okay, cool. Looks like you got everything covered. Just understand if it doesn't work, it needs to change. I was like, yeah, I'm totally fine with that. And so that's how it started. And I saw some interesting things. It, so it didn't start as this altruistic, like I'm here to help students do like these great things. It started out of frustration and how do I make my job easier? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I saw some very interesting things, students who didn't participate in class, who left and weren't even present in class on test days, who were absent, um, that stuff started to go away. You know, um, they were participating more. They weren't leaving for the bathroom and coming back 45 minutes later. Test days weren't mass absences. And so I was like, okay. And so I started asking them, like, you know, why? Right? What's the difference? The class isn't any different other than I'm just not giving points anymore. You're getting comments instead. 
And um, now, obviously, in the beginning, nothing's perfect. And um, th this was far from a, a great model. But, like, those positive things say, I, I have to do more. You know, okay. I have to make this viable. And so um, one of my uh, colleagues who I shared a classroom with, she saw the change in the students, Elise. She's the co-author. Uh, and she's like, I want to do this too. And so the two of us started bouncing ideas off of each other for the next seven years. <laughs> and here we, we're still going. Uh, yeah. we, tweak, we tweak it every year. Uh, I'm a firm believer that nothing's ever a finished product. You know, and if if somebody tells you that they have all the answers, well, then talk to somebody else. Yes. Yes. So, Let me ask you, how is this connected uh, to I don't know much about it, but uh, standard based grading or is it the, the uh, parallel thing? So, okay. When we started moving away from traditional grades, we went to standards based grading. This is a great question. Um, So standards-based grading is still based on performance, right? So here's the standard, here's your success criteria, how much of that success criteria, how well did you do this thing? Um, you know, how much of this do you know? Um, so we started there. And um, when I started, I had like 60 different I can statements. Okay. And it was like, and I had this four point generic rubric, um, And it was, it, it didn't work the way that I wanted it to. I didn't have students engaging with, um, you know, I, I didn't have them engaging with me, engaging with the content the way that I had envisioned, um, you know, but it definitely was a step in the right direction. Um, you know, so what we found is you can't clearly assess if a student's not progressing because they don't have the skill or they haven't yet mastered the skill, or they don't have a foundational or conceptual understanding of the content, right? And when we get to higher levels of understanding, uh, those two things are um, intertwined, right? Mm -hmm. So what we had to do is find a way to tease those apart. And so we actually assess content separately than we do our learning progressions, which are based on Uh, the next generation science standards, um, engineering practices, right? So um, things like uh, arguing scientific claims, analyzing data, um, creating explanations or making predictions, like things like that problem solving. Those are skills. So they're completely agnostic of any content. So we kind of pulled those out and we said, okay, um, what's the first thing that they have to do? Because what we noticed Um, was there weren't many on-ramps to education for some students that were uh, actually experiencing, um, you know, learning challenges. And, you know, we had this idea of, okay, this is what proficient looks like, right? Here's a, a step below proficient. Here's everything, you know, if you're advanced or if you're an expert or like all that stuff was there. But what about the student who just never turned anything in? So what we noticed was they weren't turning stuff in because they didn't know how to initiate. There was no on-ramp, right? And so I'm actually working on a project right now called On-Ramps to Education. Um, like that's this whole, um, this whole idea. And, um, you know, so 
how could we provide a structure that gave everybody access to our progression? So we came up with five verbs, right? So, or five words, they're not all verbs. So the first thing, like, try. What does an honest effort look like, right? So you can try. Doesn't have to be right, doesn't have to be good, just try. Now, once a student's tried, they've invited me into a conversation about how to improve, right? Mm -hmm. So if they don't give me anything, they're keeping me out of that conversation. Once they try, now I'm invited into a conversation, right? So after they try, okay, explain. So for instance, let's just say, um, let's just say the, the question was, um, you know, how do seat belts make cars safer? You know, um, a student could say, well, they, they stopped me from hitting the steering wheel. Okay, great. So they tried. Right. So now my response would be, okay, do you remember any of the terms from this unit that may relate to this? And at that point, now I'm assessing them. Right. Mm. And I, I can see, okay, so here there's not the foundational understanding. So we need to go in this direction or they can say, oh yeah, it, it was this, that, the other. Okay. Next time, just include things like that. It'll make your explanation even stronger. Right. And so if they're saying that, then say, okay, um, so you mentioned the terms. What does that term mean? Could you define it for me? Right. And so we're working from a strengths-based perspective. What are the students bringing to the table and how can we make that even better? And it doesn't matter where they fall in that progression. If they're at try, well, then my job is to get them to explain, you know, if they're at explain, well, then my job is to get them to explicitly explain. Mm. If they're explicitly explaining, then my job is to make sure that what they're explaining is the correct application, right? So um, everybody can engage with these prompts. And so it's no longer um, differentiating what students are actually doing in the classroom our differentiation comes from the conversations that we have and just saying, okay, here's what you individually need to get to your next developmental level. And the, the biggest difference between standards-based grading and learning progressions, we call what we do the learning progression model um, or learning progression method. Um, so um, the, the biggest difference is they have preset criteria that like, okay, this is a four and a four is good. What, what we have is just these different levels of, and none of them are good. That's just where you're at. Right. So it's where you are and what's next. Right. I see. So, um, you know, I, I get a lot of heat for saying like, we don't judge. Like when I say judge, you know, I'm not talking about like, um, you know, I assess, I understand where you are, right? So, um, you know, those are things that you can do. It's not my interpretation of, all right, you tried, right? That's obvious, right? You wrote words that were relevant to this unit. That's obvious, right? So that's not my interpretation of it. Where you fall on that is not good or bad. It just is, all right? Mm. And then our job becomes what's next. You know, yes. and I think that's one of the, the biggest differences is mm-hmm. um, there's certain criteria in standards based grading that that's the ideal. That's what we're striving for. 
Mm-hmm. For us, the mindset is we'll meet you where you are. And, you know, um, and I know this is going to rub some standards based grading people the wrong way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, that's not nuance, right? That's a difference. That That is a difference in mindset. It's a difference in approach. It's a difference in conversation. So I think mm-hmm. it, it's a really important conversation to have. Yes. Um, you know, but it's challenging. You know, um, so we have to change the way that we think of the classroom, right? And standards-based grading was a nice, easy transition for me because it let me keep some control, right? It let me keep power in the classroom. In this model now, I've, I'm okay with giving up power, yes. right? Sharing power with the students. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not about me. It's about them and what they need. You know, so and I think those are probably the biggest differences. If that makes thank sense. you, I no absolutely, and I think that um, when you think innovative, uh, there's always going to be some feathers. Uh, in in big part because uh, the education system is designed to meet the needs of a company that publishes a book, uh, and everybody has to be learning according to that book rather than focusing on the students. So I commend you for that. Let me ask you one more question. Now, we're both parents, uh, and I'm sure <clears throat> we're always thinking, oh, my goodness, where is my kid going to college? Where are they going to study? I hope they study something that is going to give them a good job. How do we get more children into STEM fields? Oof. You know what? If I could answer that question, I'd be rich. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know but what? If you could, if you could like, <laughs> do things, what, what would it take? Because AI, uh, the the advances in technology, I mean, the the fields of careers are going to be so different in five, ten, fifteen years. I, I completely right? agree. I so now I would say, don't ever tell somebody they are not a math or science person, or that you are not a math or science person. Right? Anybody can do math. Anybody can do science. And I think a lot of times it's self-fulfilling prophecy. That's hard. That's scary. Um, and so people kind of steer away from it. Now, I think, um, you know, for me, I have an eight-year-old daughter who absolutely loves science. And um, I had the opportunity to take a trip uh, actually out in your area. Um, we went to New Trier, um, visited mm. New Trier High School. Um And I was, they have an amazing engineering program and they have seniors as their TAs and, um, you know, fabulous young woman. I I forget her name. It it was like seven years ago that I went there. Um, And we asked her the question, how do we get more, you know, girls, women involved in science and she said she did her, her senior project. She wrote like, um, you know, a, a 10 page um, like senior project on that exact thing. And her findings were um, female interest in, um, in science is directly related to if they have a family member in science. Wow. Yeah. So wow. I was like, wow, that's crazy. Like, you know, so, I'm, I'm very conscious of trying to make my classroom a space where, you know, women feel comfortable and like, you know, 
um, they can engage in engineering. They can engage in high level science discussions because, you know, typically like it's a male dominated field and, you know, um, it, it doesn't need to be right. We have these gender stereotypes of what guys can do and, and what girls can do. And it's just not so right. I think a lot of it is just the way we frame the professions, the way we frame the, the courses um, and, you know, people telling other people enough that like you can't do this or you shouldn't do this. Eventually they start to believe it. So if you want to get more people going into these fields, stop, saying that I'm not a science person and it's okay that you aren't either, you know, like that just has to stop. Uh, amen. That makes a detrimental impact forever uh, and creates limits in children. Thank you so much. Uh, before we continue with this great conversation, let's get celebrate the Teach Better community. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. Okay, so uh, David, like in Back to the Future, if you could go back to any of the positions you have held, what would be one or two things you would advise yourself? Yeah, so, you know, I, I'm pretty open about how bad I was as a teacher when I started, and I think part me, of me the, too by the way yeah me too well and look, I, I think we all are like you know we were nobody was good when they started and the more honest we are about that like the easier it is to move forward um absolutely but um i think part of the reason why i wasn't a good teacher and if i could go back and change this and it didn't take me long to realize it but like we're dealing with people They're not students. They're not numbers. They are people. They are fully formed, living in the real world people. So like the things that we say, the things that we do um, really do have an impact on them. And, you know, looking back at some of the ways that I interacted with students, I, I kind of cringe and just say, you know, that, um, that was kind of awful. Um, you know, so just coming in with that understanding that like, you know, um, like we have bad days, they have bad days. We're all just people, right? Let, let's find common ground, a common goal. And, you know, um, th that would be um, the, the biggest thing is just have that mindset from the beginning. I'd probably be a little further in my career with like, you know, the research. I would have started it a whole lot earlier. Absolutely. Thank you. I think uh, action research is so important in what we do uh, because it makes us stronger. It makes us uh, be on top of things and that can only support students. Thank you for uh, sharing that. So let's talk about books. So reading books is such a luxury. Uh, can you share with us um, one fiction book you're most likely to give away to a loved one? And one nonfiction book, and why? Oh, so fiction, but I, I don't think I'd give it away to a loved one. They'd probably kill me because it's like thirteen hundred <laughs> pages. But um, <laughs> uh, I'm a I'm a big Stephen King fan, and mm. one of my favorite uh, of all of his works is The Stand. Um, so that um, 
Now they had um, they had the unedited version. So like when it first released, he cut out like four hundred pages, and so when they re-released it, those four hundred pages were in there. So um, you know, I, I just like on the surface, it could seem like it's about good and evil. Um, you know, because like you have like Mother Abigail, who's like so after basically a flu wipes out 99% of the population. You have like two camps. You have mother Abigail, who's calling all of these people in their dreams to, mm-hmm. to Colorado. And then um, you have uh flag who, who's calling um, the unsavory people to Las Vegas. And like, you have like these two camps of civilization left. And so, you know, on the surface, it could seem like it's good and evil. I look at it more like internal struggle, right? Like, so it, it's not, um, you know, it, it's not good and evil battling. It's like us internally looking at like, you know, I mean, when you, if you read it, there's just so many layers to it. And, you know, uh, I just think it's so well done. Um, and yeah, that's Stephen King. Did you read the book before they added the 400 pages or both? No, 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 because um, that was first released in the 70s. So I, th- I think it was so the late 70s. So, yeah, like, I mean, um, I started getting into Stephen King when I was in high school. And so okay. that was right about, I think, um, I think 1991 was when they released mm-hmm. um, the with the 400 pages. And that was like my freshman year in high school. I see. So, I um, see. you know. But like I, I read all of his stuff, and you know, awesome. um, it, it was just great. And now I've I've watched every adaptation, and just like you know, I compare him to the book, and like you know, so it was for me one of his best works, and that's probably the fiction that I like okay. most. So, and the nonfiction? Oh, nonfiction. Um, I read obviously a ton of education stuff. Um, the I would say probably the most accessible and impactful book that somebody could read is Troublemakers um, by Carla Shalabi. Um, It's wonderfully done. It's a case study that follows, um, you know, four students throughout an entire year of school, Um, you know, both in school and at home. So you get to see a picture of the whole child, um, you know, and it's, um, it's wonderful and it's first graders. And so you think that it doesn't apply, but like when you look at the way that we, um, we engage with students and we discipline students, um, mostly through like exclusion and, um, you know, it does a really good job of kind of laying out how even progressive educators marginalize some kids. So um, I, it's easy to read. She's a fantastic storyteller. Um, you know, so that would probably be, that would be the first one that um, I would recommend. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, I think the, in, the talent is in telling the story. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. So <clears throat> a broad question. Who do you learn from? Everybody I interact with. I mean, you know, that's um, if we're not learning from everybody around us, I think we're doing it wrong. You know, 
Um, I, it depends on the situation, right? Like same thing I was saying before. Uh, I learned from my kids. I learned from my wife. Um, you know, I, I learned from the custodians at school. Uh, I learned from my students. Um, I learned from everybody that I interact with. You know, um, there's there's something of value that everybody brings to the table that I I have not had experience with, um, whether that be their culture, whether that be um, their interests or profession or um, you know, uh, if I'm not like, there's certain things I'm an expert in, in those situations, I will take the lead every other situation. I'm going to ask a ton of questions, you know? Um, and I don't care who it is. Like, you know, last year I was trying to learn this like 3d modeling program. And one of my students is like a whiz in it. Like he, he can do everything. And so like, you know, I'd start class by like asking him questions. How do I do this? How do I do like, you know, and the students were just like, wait a second, the students teaching the teacher. I was like, every situation, like everybody's a student, you know, like, so, um, you know, it doesn't matter. Right. People have value, right. We just have to, we have to see what that value is in those people, you know, um, so we don't know everything. If we think we're the smartest person in the room, it's a really big room, you know? So um, there's always somebody who's going to be better. Um, there's always somebody who's going to know more. Um, and, you know, I think if we recognize that and, you know, just listen, you know, we learn from everybody. Um, in terms of education, my students have taught me more about how to teach than any book that I've ever read. Any um, survey, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Um, but like, just, you know, meeting you and meeting the people at, at the conference and listening to podcasts and, um, you know, like there, there's so many people that I learn from, um, you know, and it's just like, oh, you know what? I never looked at it that way or I didn't even think about that. And, you know, um, so... Yeah, we, we just have to be willing to, and, you know, we can learn from anybody. Beautiful. I wanted to praise you. Uh, when you tell students that you're learning from someone uh, in the classroom, the level of confidence that you teach that child, that they're capable of teaching or teaching something new to the teacher, that's like a lifelong um, uh, impact. So thank you so much for sharing that. So uh, let's go more nitty-gritty. Who okay. is... Or who are your biggest influences? Um, you know, I, I do have to say my students, right? So, um, like when you're talking professionally, um, everything I do is for them. They are involved in every aspect. Um, and we've had very honest conversations. Like, you know, they tell me what they'd like to see happen in the classroom, um, we conference probably like four times a year. They have uh, like multiple surveys. Like I talk to them every day in like these informal conferences, just asking about like, you know, what's working for them? What would they like to see? You know, and if it's things that I can change, I do. If it's not something I can change, I now need to kind of verbalize why. So um, it really does help me. Um, keep interrogating my own practice and, you know, just kind of, um, 
like seeing, all right, is what I'm doing in line with my goals. So, um, they're a big influence for me. Um, obviously my wife, um, like she's an educator as well. Uh, she's my first sounding board. Like before I spit a crazy idea out to everybody else, she's heard it for like three months. Um, <laughs> you know, so, uh, like I know she, that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she deals with my crazy, um, you know, but that, so she's definitely, um, she's definitely one. Um, and then, uh, I have to say, um, my co-author Elise, um, like we, we shared a room for seven years. Um, like, you know, we still every day, um, we're talking about something about education and like, you know, we're always tweaking and modifying and, you know, do you think the students are interpreting this the way that we mean? Do you think maybe this would be more effective if we tried it that way? And, you know, so, um, it's definitely, um, it's a very good professional relationship where like, we don't agree on a lot of things, but like we can disagree in a very productive way. Um, where at the end it's just like, ah, okay. You know what? I got to think about that. We'll come back. And, you know, we usually find some kind of compromise or middle ground or, you know, I'll say, or she'll say, you know what? you were right about that. That's probably the better way to go. Um, you know, so it, it's definitely having somebody like that to challenge your ideas, um, you know, rather than just say, yeah, looks great. Go ahead, do it. Yeah. You know, um, that challenge has made me a better teacher and, you know, um, so I would say those are probably my three main influences. I mean, you don't have enough time here for me to talk about everybody who has impacted <laughs> me. Um, you know, we could talk for a couple hours about that. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. Probably those were the, the most impactful ones. I appreciate that. So let's talk about productivity. As you know, productivity is something imperative for us to get our things done. But this can mean many different things to different people. What does it mean to you? How do you get organized and still live a life? All right. So, um, I, I think the important thing here is you need to understand you. Um, you can't be me. I can't be you. Um, things that work for me um, would drive other people crazy. Um, you know, I do a lot of stuff in my head. I'm very fortunate to have a very good memory. So, like, I make mental lists. And, you know, like, um, like the book... I, I pretty much had like chapters written in my head. Like I'd be laying in bed and just like thinking of all the things that I wanted to get out there. And when I finally got to a computer, it was like, wow, 5,000 words, you know, um, because they were all in my head. So like, you know, that works for me. Now, um, if you email me, and it needs a response, it will happen within five minutes because if it doesn't happen within that five minutes, it will never happen. And I know that about me. Um, so like I do those things kind of right away because I know like um, my brain never stops working. So like I'm thinking about something that email isn't going to be what I'm thinking about. So yeah. like, you know, I'm, I make sure things like that are done. Um, and it, it's not me like, trying to be prompt it's i know that i'll i just won't do it so yes. um 
you know, and I, so that, that's really the key is knowing yourself and finding what works. Um, you know, like the, the process for the book, once I got going, um, and I knew like, so for me, when I wind down, I have probably my best thoughts at night right before I fall asleep. So my process for the book was I set aside two hours every morning. So when I woke up, I just wrote for two hours, you know? Um, so whatever happened. Did you happened, ever get stuck? Did you ever get like, oh my goodness, I don't know what else to say. Or did you write for like two hours, whatever it came out? Oh, so yeah. Um, pretty much, I had quite the opposite. Like when I write, I don't edit. I don't, it's, it's just like, it's stream of consciousness, right? Here are all my thoughts. And I'm, I'm, I go back later and say, wow, that was nonsense, right? Like, so I'll, I'll edit it after. And yes. I think when you get writer's block, you're trying to be perfect on the first pass, you know? Um, so for me, like, I don't even know what I'm writing. Like, you know, I'm just getting ideas out there. Like, if you ask me what happened, like a paragraph before, I couldn't even tell you. I'm just getting it all out. Yeah. And like, you know, it might be out of order, um, like, you know, grammatically, it's definitely a mess. Um, but you know, it's just get the ideas there, refine them later. Um, yes. so that was, that's kind of my process for writing. And what I will tell you though, is I've written a lot and now the edits are fewer and fewer because like, you know, I just like anything else practice. I, I wasn't a writer. I didn't want to be a writer. I didn't go out and say, one of my goals as an educator is to write a book, you know, uh, I want to teach, you know, that's it. Like I want to be in the classroom. I'm not looking to be an administrator. I'm not looking to leave the classroom. Um, but we had some ideas that I thought were just too important not to share. Um, so I started writing blogs. I started writing like, you know, I started taking notes, um, of what was happening in the classroom. Um, like, so the action research was just kind of happening. It wasn't a plan. Um, and then same thing, the book just kind of happened because I had, um, you know, hundreds of pages of notes. I had, uh, surveys from almost 400 students and, you know, so it was like, it's like, we got all this stuff, you know, what we do yeah, let's format it and share it. And, you know, so, um, yeah, that, that that's my process, you yes. know, um, find the times you're most productive. Um, working longer doesn't mean working better. Um, you know, so if you know that I'm great for two hours, then work for those two hours, you know, because anything you do after that, you're, you're going to get frustrated. Right. And then that's going to taint tomorrow's two hours, you know, yes. so, um, find your times of productivity and like, you know, don't try, don't try and do too much. Amen. So for people who are in the trenches of, I want to publish a book, uh, I want to write a book, uh, I want to get it published, etc. What lessons did you learn and what advice would you give to those? Um, it's an awesome experience. Like writing a book is really cool. Um, not for any recognition, but because you really have to interrogate your ideas and make sure you're communicating in a way that somebody who has never met you and has no context um, of what you do can understand your thoughts. So I think that part's pretty cool. Um, now, 
depending on where you go, like what publisher, if you're self-published, um, you know, or if you're going with a big publisher or a smaller edgy publisher, um, your experience is going to be very different. They're not all the same. So uh, I was very fortunate. Um, we signed a contract with Corwin and we had a fantastic team that um, developed the book, right? Peer reviews, um, image editors, copy editors. Um, like, so the whole process, um, we had the, the draft done in July. Mm -hmm. It was published in March of the following year. Yeah. It takes you know, a while. It does. But like, I firmly believe it's a much better book because uh, people said, well, I don't like this. I, this isn't clear. Right. So you got to check your ego at the door. Right. Like you're putting ideas out there. People are going to react to them, you know, positively, negatively. Um, you know, so like you just got to check your ego because like it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. You know, um, you're going to hear some hard things and you're going to hear some things that maybe you don't agree with. Um, and then you're going to hear some things that like um, you're just like, yeah, you know what? That really wasn't to the level that I want it to be. Um, you know, I, I need to improve that or, you know, that didn't communicate my idea in the best way. Um, I need to change the way that I'm explaining this. So um, that process is awesome. Um, what I will say on the back end after, um, be ready to hustle. You know, um, if you want people to read your book, it's on you. Right. Yes. Um, I am terrible at self-promotion, you know, like I'll sit here, I'll talk to you about education all day. And like, you know, um, I have some friends, uh, that like are podcasters and they're like, mention your book. I was like, that's not what this is about. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not here to like, yeah, obviously I, I love everybody in education to buy my book but like what's more important to me is that people in education are moving towards policies that are positively impacting students so if we're having a conversation about that i'm not going to wedge that in there so mm -hmm. I, I don't know um it's a balance between um you know making sure the ideas are heard and marketing yourself because uh, I never want to come across as somebody who's doing it just to sell books because that's not at all who I am or what I'm about. Um, but like there has to be a level of that because you put all the time into getting the ideas out there. What's the point if nobody's going to read them? Amen. You know? So got to hustle. Amen. Um, wait, I'm sending something to my children that is kind of urgent, you know, the business. Yep. Um, they are number one. Absolutely. That's the good thing about doing it live also, that people get to see people as humans drinking coffee and chatting yeah. in their in their sofa. Uh, <clears throat> let's go back to uh, what advice would you have for teachers who, you know, at some point during the week, they sit down and they face the reality that they have to prepare these lesson plans for the week for the month or for the unit <clears throat> what advice do you have uh, uh, for teachers who are developing lesson plans uh, what have you learned uh, uh, what do you have to share with us I think oftentimes we try to do too much and we focus on the wrong things you know mm. um, so you know 
curriculum is a guideline, not a mandate, right? And it's it, a power. Wait, wait, curriculum is not a. It's I a mean, guideline, I'm, not a mandate. I'm telling you, I'm taking notes. I'm learning here from you. <laughs> curriculum is a guideline, not a mandate. So, all right, the and this is it's very challenging, right? So, um, you know, the model of school is we are we are judged by how well our students do on standardized tests. So there are certain things that need to be covered. I get that. But like covering material and learning material are two different things, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're, if we're cycling through and we find that we're doing the same thing over and over and over again, I had to reteach. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why we changed our, our model to what we're doing is like, kept saying, I have to reteach this. I have to reteach that. Well, if I have to reteach it, then they never learned it. Yes. So, you know, so what we did is we, we decided that we're going to go slow to go fast later, you know? And so we said, okay, we're going to make sure that you have these foundational understandings, you have these foundational skills, and then we're going to ramp up, you know? And so we keep picking up speed. We, you know, um, so a lot of times, you know, we do things that are counter to like what we're trying to accomplish. Now, a lot of it is not on the teacher because like every district is very, very different. So what they want in terms of lesson plans, like I not, not the district I'm in now, but I worked in a district where we had to have, um, like team lesson plans. Mm. So everybody who taught the same subject had to do the same lesson on the same day, give the same exact test on the same day. It left no variability for the students in your class, right? So if my students had, you know, learning challenges and needed an extra day, didn't matter, right? We had to, so I understand there are some very rigid things that happen in schools. So whatever I say, like take with a grain of salt, because in your situation, maybe you can't do that. I'm in a very progressive school that, um, and now I've earned some of the leeway because like, you know, I, I've showed them why I'm doing what I'm doing, but like I say two things to people whenever I start these conversations, understand that, what you're seeing is the result of seven years of failure and tweaking. So don't expect for you to be where I am tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is I don't want to get you fired. Um, so like there's things that I'm allowed to do that you may not be able to do. So mm -hmm. like, first thing is like, you know, keep your job, <laughs> you know, yes. Um, yes. and then like do what you can within those parameters. So, you know, when we're giving advice, we're giving advice from, you know, our perspective, our experience, understanding that like, you know, some people are experiencing vastly different things and there are things that are out of their control. And like, I get that, you know, cause we're talking, I'm in New Jersey. We're talking to educators like all over the country and, you know, maybe all over the world. Right. So mm -hmm. they're experiencing different things. Yes. So, um, you know, they may listen to this and say, well, I can't do that. I get that, right? If you can, or take aspects of what I'm saying and just like apply what you can when you can. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. And so uh, the, 
the last piece of advice I would give to any teacher is change the way you talk about students, right? So it doesn't matter where we are, doesn't matter what we do. Um, we can change the way we talk about students, right? Um, we let's try not to put labels on them, right? Labels become self-fulfilling prophecies. Um, you know, you're told something enough. That's, that's what you believe you are. Um, so I don't use a student, D student, honor student, special ed student, they're students, right? They're students who receive, um, you know, educational supports, you know, they're students who happen to be in honors classes, right? Uh, I've eliminated, uh, words like cheating, right? So students aren't cheating. They're accessing additional support. Right. And, and then we, we get to the, the question of, okay, why did you feel like you needed that additional support on this assessment? Right. Um, you know, I, I try not to talk about weaknesses. We have areas of opportunity. We have areas for growth. Right. So like, it may sound hokey, but like the, the way we frame things, the way we talk about things, really makes a difference to the way students feel about it. And um, another, I know we're not talking about books anymore, but another fantastic book is Emotions, Learning, and the Brain by uh, Mary Helen Imorgino-Yang. And um, it, it does a fantastic job of laying out how emotion impacts learning, right? So these little changes make a huge difference, right? If we can make students feel safe, if we can make them feel valued, if we can make them feel heard, um, you know, it, it's going to go a long way into moving them towards learning because they're, they're not focused on, well, you know, I don't feel like this is an environment where I can thrive, right? If they're feeling that way, I don't, you could have the best lessons in the world. They're mm -hmm. not going to land. Mm -hmm. It's how you make them feel. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Great advice for any teacher out there who is figuring out, instead of freaking out about planning their lessons, to see the humanity of each child as they plan. Yeah. Thank you so much. Let's talk about uh, your podcasting journey. Uh, how did you uh, came up to create a podcast? Uh, what do you podcast about and what have you learned? Yeah, so um, you can blame Chris Nessie and AJ Bianco because, um, you know, they're two other New Jersey educators. Uh, you may know Chris Nessie's House of Ed Tech. Um, so, like, they kind of forced me to start a podcast. Um, but, like, I, I don't regret it. I love it. I get to talk to a ton of people. So uh, my individual episodes, I try to keep the five to ten minutes and just tackling um, like one aspect of education, just like a thought or rant that I have. Um, and then I pepper in some, um, interviews with, um, you know, people that I respect that are doing like some cool things. Uh, I, I just talked to, um, Dr. Byron McClure and Dr. Mm -hmm. Kelsey Reed. Um, they're the co-authors of hacking deficit thinking. Um, you know, so they were fantastic. I get to meet people like that. Um, you know, and so, like I said, every conversation I have, I learn, um, Michael Weingarth, um, he's out of Connecticut. Um, when you talk about executive functioning, um, you know, he, he has opened my eyes to like so many things. Like, it's just like, oh, wow. 
here are things that I thought I was doing well. And not that like, not that he's saying, Oh, you're, you're doing all these things wrong, but just the way he's talking is just like, those are things that like, I never thought about He's so well read and researched and, um, I have a much better understanding of executive functioning than I ever did before. Um, you know, so, um, just getting to make those connections. Like, uh, I have people that I feel like I have never actually met in person that I feel are friends. Um, you know, it's just, it's great making those connections, learning things about education, people, um, you know, um, just having some laughs and, um, you know, hopefully people get something out of it. Beautiful. And what is the title of the podcast? Uh, from earning to learning and the, the way we got the title, The way we got the title, um, so my whole thing was moving away from traditional grades, right? And we were having a struggle of students were looking to just earn points and collect points, mm -hmm. and we wanted them to focus on truly learning. And so that's kind of where the title came from. I see. I see. I think, uh, let me see. I don't want to misquote, but the quote is, the more you learn, the more you earn. And I think that was Martin Luther King. Uh, he was telling this to uh, a group of middle school students just a few days with, before he was assassinated. So the title of your podcast uh, uh, made me remember that quote. Um, David, thank you so much. Any other talents or things that you like to do that we have not talked about? Uh, so one of my, I guess it's not a hidden talent, but it, it's, uh, I love cooking and, Ooh. um, yeah, so I do like barbecues. I have my smoker, my pizza oven, like, oh, you know, I, I, I know who to miss in New Jersey. <laughs> There you go. Hey, if you're ever out here in the summer, like I, you know, uh, it gets a little, I, you're in Chicago or the Chicago yeah. area. So I know, you know, the winters get cold. I yes. don't do that stuff in the winter inside. Like <laughs> I, I make stuff inside in the winter, but, um, mm. like summers I'm out there on the smoker. I do like, you know, ribs, brisket, like, um, yeah. So, uh, like during COVID, I kind of kicked it up a notch. I got my own meat grinder, deli slicer. Like I make my own sausage ah. hamburgers. Like, yeah. So, Um, I, I, I went a little overboard with it, but, um, that, that I guess would be my, uh, hidden talent. Why not? Absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation, David, anything else you would like to share with the listeners of the show? Uh, you know, uh, I love talking about education, right? Reach out to me, reach out to me on Twitter at David Frangiosa. Um, you know, we have a website, uh, reimaginedschools.com. You can find, the um, my blogs, you can find podcasts, you can find Elise's blogs. Um, and really we're trying to put, uh, as much of this out there for anybody who's looking to move in this direction as we possibly can. Um, you know, yeah, reach out. I I'd love to talk to whoever wants to. David, amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time of your busy day to spend a few uh, minutes with us here in wisdom and productivity. Well, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Saturday. I hope that you have a fantastic day, everybody. Peace and calm. Thank you for listening to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Epaim Martinez. Chulu. And Ella's Production.
Chill out.